Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 16, if you want to turn there with me this morning. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and if you got it, if you don't mind standing to your feet uh, for the reading of God's Word today. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This is what the Word of God says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are also the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house." In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God, today we pray that you would add your blessing and anointing to the word. God, I pray that you would speak to every heart and mind. Lord, let us be transformed and conformed to your image today. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Before you're seated, why don't you wave to somebody, high five somebody, say hello to somebody. And uh, just tell them you're glad to see them this morning. Can I have a high five? All right. I'm glad to see you this morning. All right. We are going to continue on today with our journey through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we, are, we started this last week, and we, uh, as we talked about the Beatitudes, and uh, I mentioned last week this is reminiscent of a time in the Old Testament where Moses stood and came down from the mount and gave forth a, a covenant for God's people of the Ten Commandments and the law they were to follow. It's almost as if Jesus is doing this again uh, with the New Covenant and explaining to the people of how things are going to work under this new way of life, under this new life in Christ. And so when we talked about the Beatitudes, we talked about how it's about our actual attitude, how we live and think and work as believers of the faith. And uh, today we are continuing on with that same sentiment, but we are moving on to uh, now that we kind of know who we are within our hearts and who we are as believers and followers of Christ, uh, now we are talking about our role in the world. And Jesus is with this scripture telling the people that he is speaking to what their job is and who they are supposed to be to the rest of the world. They know who they are supposed to be as individuals, but now what do you do with that information, with this transformed life? How does that relate to the world we live in? And he tells them that you are salt and you are light. These are two things that uh, he gives them to, uh, to live by and to identify as in the world uh, and be towards the world. And I, I find it interesting that he uses these two things, and we're going to start with the salt. Uh, salt is a very interesting uh, use. How many like to put salt on your food? Are we, got, we got some salt and pepper type of people in here. And so I know people that they put salt on everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Did you know that uh, salt actually is better for your coffee than sugar is as far as taking away the bitterness? 
That is something I learned this past week studying it, that you can actually take salt and it, I mean, think about how much sugar we can load down a cup of coffee with and it still not be quite right. Then we got to add cream and we got to add all these other things and yet it still tastes so bitter to some people. I'm a black coffee drinker myself. It doesn't bother me one bit. I I, I like the taste of it. Uh, But there are people who like coffee to have something else in it. But what I learned is that you can actually sprinkle just a little bit of salt in your coffee, and it takes the bitterness out of it. I find that to be very interesting, that it takes so much sugar, it takes so much of these extra things, and still cannot taste good. Sometimes it's almost to the point where it's like all I taste is sugar and cream, and that's not any better than what the bitterness was. I find it interesting that that salt takes it away because I want us, the, the first thing for us to understand today is that salt makes bitter bearable. Salt will make bitter bearable. And like I just said about all the sugar and the cream and all of those things, I find it interesting that uh, salt being the thing that takes bitterness away doesn't take nearly as much of it to make the bitterness leave. Now, when I, when I received that revelation, what I begin to compare that to is the way we approach faith in the world today. We will sugarcoat stuff. We will, we will cover things up in, in whipped cream and, and sprinkles and all of this stuff to try to make things better and to make things not so bitter. But the reality of it is, is even with all of that sugar and with all of that cream and all of those extra things that we try to throw in the coffee, if you will, we still end up with a bad taste in our mouth. But I find it that through Christ and through His truth, the salt that it is, it only takes a little bit to lift the bitterness out. There's something about the salt and the, and the chemical makeup of salt that God designed it in such a way that it would just cancel out the bitterness that we experience. And it doesn't take but a pinch of it. You see, we can try lots and lots of other things. We can try to do so many different things and take so many different approaches, and we can try so hard to do so many different things, and it still not take it all away. In fact, sometimes it goes too far in that direction of sugar coating and cream and, and all of the sprinkles and everything else that goes with it to where it just still tastes nasty, but it may not be bitter. You see, I, I struggle with some of these frou-frou coffee drinks, as I call them, because when I get them, like all, it's, I'm drinking a milkshake. I'm not drinking coffee anymore. And some of it's just got too much in there, and I'm like, it just doesn't even taste good. Maybe you love that, and that's okay. But for me, it, if it's not made right, and if it's got all this way too much in there, I said, that's just way too much. I wanted a cup of coffee, not a milkshake. And so when we look at it this way, we look at how it just takes just a little bit of salt. We can take the bitter out and make it bearable. And when you look at our world and we look at this application today, we understand that we live in a world that is full of bitter tasting things. Not just bitter tasting things, but people who are bitter within their hearts. People who are bitter towards God, who are bitter towards other people, who are are angry, are hateful, and they've they've just been destroyed by bitterness. 
And Jesus is saying, I have called you to be the solution to that by being salt to the bitter world. By, by adding in the salt that we take from the Scripture, from Christ and, and who He is, by taking that, that person of Jesus and, and impersonating Him and trying to be like Him ourselves and then going out into the world doing everything we can to be Christ-like, we become salt to the bitterness. Have you ever just been having a bad day and you meet somebody who's just so full of joy and happiness and peace and kindness and they just know how to turn your frown upside down? And they just know how to spin things up on its head and make the bitter day a better day. It's usually a person you find knows Christ, has something different about them that can just take the bitterness out of your day, take the bitterness out of the world. You see, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all of those things that we are supposed to bear according to the fruit of the Spirit, according to the Spirit of Christ that lives within us, all of those things we should take and apply to the world to make it a less bitter place. We live in a world that's going to have bad days. We live in a world that experiences bad things. But when you can take the joy of Christ to a a situation that is depressing, when you can take the love of Christ to a world full of hate, when you can take the the peace to an anxious, worrisome world, all of a sudden it gets to be less bitter. And we have to understand that our time here on this earth is limited anyway. Whether the Lord tarries and you go through natural causes to be with the Father in heaven or He comes back and takes us all off of here, someday the bitterness is all going to come to an end. But in the meantime, there, is, there are people out there suffering in the bitterness and we are called to be salt to them, to take the bitterness away through sharing the love and the joy and the peace and all of those things that Christ is to the world. Something else I learned about salt is it's not just about taste. It's not just about taking bitterness away. But in fact, for centuries upon centuries, before refrigeration and ice boxes and root cellars existed, especially with meats, salt was used as a preservative. Salt was used to save meat from rotting and decaying. Isn't that interesting? It's so fun to read the Scripture and realize that Jesus meant something so much deeper than what we really could have understood on the surface level. You begin to study salt as a preservative and and how we can apply that to this Scripture. We are not just supposed to take the bitterness away, but we have a calling and a responsibility to preserve and to save and and to keep this earth as salt. You see, bitterness will cause us to rot. Bitterness will cause us to decay. Bitterness will cause the meat to get moldy, if you will. But when we have salt and we are salt on it, we can uh, fight off the bacteria. That's how salt preserves meats. Is It gets so salted on there, it keeps the bacteria away from seeping into it and causing it to rot and decay. As salt of the earth, we have a responsibility that through applying the truth in our life and through sharing the truth with others, we can prevent the rotting and the falling apart of the world that we live in. 
I know it's easy to sometimes just take a back seat and just say, well, the world is headed to you know where in a handbasket. It's easy to sit back and just say it's, it's going that way anyway. But the, the goal of preservation is to not keep Jesus from coming back and to hold him off. The goal of preservation is to reach the lost and dying, decaying souls with the truth and allow that salt of his truth to be a preservative for the souls of the people that are on this earth. Because the reality of it is, like I mentioned earlier, it will all fall apart. Jesus is coming back. Our time on this earth is limited. But in the meantime, we still have a responsibility to reach out and be salt to the lost, decaying, and dying souls of this world that they can be preserved and have their own place in heaven. That the, the bacteria of sin and the, the decaying attack that the, the devil has sent out into this earth to seek, kill, and destroy uh, and be like a lion seeing who he may devour, our goal is to salt the earth with the truth so that the soul may be preserved from the decay that sin causes. We have this calling and this responsibility but the problem is, is we lose our saltiness sometimes. We allow, instead of us preserving the world, we allow the world to seep in. And we even allow bitterness to seep in. And instead of the, the salt making bitter better, the bitter makes the salt bitter. And instead of the, the salt preserving the rotting, all of a sudden we allow the thing that is rotting to now rot out the salt in us. And we lose our saltiness. We lose our taste. And you see, there is a, a third application of salt. Excuse me. Salt actually has some healing properties. There's a reason why if you go to the hospital, one of the main things they give you is a saline IV drip. That's just a fancy way of saying they, they give you a drip of salt water. That's all it is, is it's water with some salt in it. But it is a powerful thing. It is such a staple in the healthcare world. It is such a staple within the hospitals and emergency rooms for a reason. It's because it allows and, and, and provides a restorating, a restoring uh, application to the body, a, a, a work in the body. If you are dehydrated, has anybody ever drank salt water when they were dehydrated after a hot day? Has anybody ever done that? Like you come into the house, it's a hot day, and uh, your mom or somebody had said some time ago, said, hey, you're going to drink some water, I'm going to put a little salt in it. There is something about the salt water and the electrolytes that are in it that 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 uh, provide hydration to the body, that make the water absorb better into the body. And it does all of these restoring things. They will clean your wounds with a saline solution. They will do, because just like it prevents the meat from decaying and rotting, it will prevent the bacteria from coming into your cut or your wound and becoming infected. This saline stuff, this salt water is all it is, is a powerful thing. And we have a, it gives restoration. It restores the dehydrated cells. It restores wounds. It restores the body. It refreshes the body. 
And we also, as salt of the earth, have a responsibility for restoration. See, we make the bitter better. We preserve from rot. But we also have a responsibility to lead people into restoration. When salt restores things, when it restores the body cells that have been dehydrated, when it fights off the bacterias and helps to heal the wound faster, we can look at our world and see a wounded, dehydrated, depleted world that needs restoration. And you see, we don't like to do the restoration work. That is a messy work to do. It involves us getting our hands dirty sometimes and washing the feet of people we don't want to wash the feet of. It involves us caring for people we don't want to care of, care for. It involves us getting into situations that we don't want to be a part of. But can we just imagine for a moment today what our life might look like if Jesus would not have gotten into the situations we were in? And if you really thought about it, I believe that God sent some people to get involved in your situation, to lead you out of it, to help you through it. And if it would not have been for those people being salt to you, you may have never seen the restoration. You may have never seen healing. You may have never seen revitalization of you. You see, being salt to the earth is an important responsibility. And it goes so much deeper than just making the bitter bearable and trying to make uh, Christianity taste good to people. Because here's the thing. Christianity in and of itself, our, our faith is salt. And we carry it with us. And through it, we become salty. Salt has been given a negative light in especially in millennial and younger culture. People walk around saying, why are you so salty, bruh? Meaning, why are you so angry, sir? That's another way to say it. And it's been given this negative image. But the reality of it is, is salt is so much more effective than sugar. And you see, we just try to give people sugar upon sugar upon sugar. And all, all we end up with is a church that is full of diseases, that attracts ants and gets sticky and messy and hyped up on sugar and all kinds of horrible things. Sugar will lead to diseases and all kinds of stuff when you have too much of it. And we've sugarcoated so much thinking that we were making the world a better place, but in reality, all we were doing was masking the bitterness. We weren't actually taking it away. We were not doing any good healing wounds. We were not doing any good preserving and restoring. Because you see, salt is the only thing that really has that ability. Sugar is just a cheap substitute. We have this unique example of being salt, but yet a powerful 
image of what it means to be a believer in the world. The problem is, is salt only has any effect if it leaves the salt shaker. The problem is that so many of us just leave the salt inside and save it for ourselves and we don't share it or sprinkle it anywhere. And we will never be effective if we keep it within ourselves. The salt is not meant to stay in the shaker. It's meant to leave and sprinkle out to the world around us. We have to leave our little bubble. We have to shake the shaker. And I think that's one of the biggest things about it is it will shake you up a little bit to get that salt out. It's not a, always fun to be the salt. It's not always comfortable to be the salt of the earth because not everybody likes salt. Not everybody wants the salt. But we have this great responsibility, and we can never take it lightly to be the salt of the earth. You see, not only are we supposed to be salt of the earth, but we are supposed to be a lit-up city on a hill. I I find this interesting because I think it's easy for all of us to understand today that we live in a dark world. We live in a world that is full of darkness and dark places, and Jesus has called us to be a light and a city. It's, it's not two really separate things. It's actually the same thing. We are basically a city that has a good power grid, and when it's nighttime, all of the lights are on, and people can see it from miles upon miles away. We are set on a hill. The city being set on a hill is a significant thing because the purpose of it being on a hill is that people from all directions and from every corner of the earth can see it. You see, our our light is not just for our own little service on a Sunday morning. Our light is not for us to just keep in our own home. The light is to be shined and shown, whatever the right word is, throughout the whole land that people may see a lit up city so that the weary wanderer that is lost in the darkness can look up and see a city that is lit up and say, wow, there is a place I can go and find some refuge. That is the purpose of being a city light, a lit up city set on a hill. See, we are supposed to attract all people from all places. But I think sometimes we have a more like a beam of light rather than a just shining bright light where we will direct our light exactly where we want it to be. Shine our light in the places that we want it to be rather than the places it needs to be and should be. See, we want to shine our light to people that look like us, talk like us, dress like us, smell like us, eat like us. We just want to shine the light to people who are just like us, people we are comfortable with. But the reality of it is, is our calling is not to just shine the light to the comfortable places. It's to every dark corner, the deepest, darkest pits should have a light that they can look to. And we are to be that city that shines that light. And you see, he also uses the example of a lamp not being covered up or hidden, but rather put on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. 
when we put it on a stand, just like when we set it on a hill, we have to really understand something here because I think a lot of times people get some of this stuff wrong and we think we're being a light to the world and we think we're giving the world the truth, but in reality, we're just being mean and nasty. You see, putting the light on a stand, putting the light on display is not wagging our finger at the unbeliever, telling them they're going to hell and ripping them apart. And, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying today because there is a way to tell somebody that the, their lifestyle leads to a life and an eternity in hell without being mean about it. There is a way to lovingly communicate that to somebody. I'm not saying we should forget about hell and never tell anybody about it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as we sit and we, we, we condemn so much but give very little truth of God's grace. We are quick to point out everything that is wrong, everything that is evil, everything that is bad, and totally neglect to point them to what is right. We have no problem. To, the Bible says you're living in sin. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. When somebody now looks at the Scriptures and looks at the Word of God, all they're going to ever think is, man, I'll never be able to get it right. How could I ever live up to this if everything I do is wrong? You see, we think we're putting it on a stand, but in reality, we're, we're putting it in a, in a realm that is... We, where we make it such an unattainable thing. And don't get me wrong, holiness outside of Christ is completely unattainable. That's why Jesus had to come and die on a cross for us, because we could never reach holiness and righteousness in our own strength. But we need to understand something, is that we cannot just sit and say, this is wrong, that is wrong, we, we don't like this, we don't like that, because the Bible says so, without ever telling somebody that, the Bible also offers a way to what is right. We, we love to sit and pick apart everything, but we never want to be the ones to put it all back together. See, putting the light on a stand is simply saying, hey, there is a better way. Saying, hey, listen, I love you too much to let you continue on this path because this path leads to destruction, leads to your demise, leads to an eternity in hell. But I want you to understand today that there is another path that you can take. That's what putting it on a stand is all about, showing people that, hey, you do have a hope and a future. You do have a life. You do have eternal life opportunity for you. It's not all bleak, and it's not all us just telling you how horrible you are and, and putting on this show, and, but it's more sincere than that. You see, the Pharisees fell into this trap. They put, the, they put it all on display, but the reality of it is, is, is they had a, a form of godliness but denied its power. They knew how to, they, Jesus condemned them and told them they were just like whitewashed tombs. The outside looked great, but the inside was full of death. Because their motive was wrong, their approach was wrong, and they, their approach was, we're just better than all of you. And I need you to understand today, I believe in a heaven, I believe in a hell. The scripture talks about them both, and we're going to go to one of two places determined on whether we have a faith and a relationship with Christ or not. But we have to understand that putting it on display is, is a, a heavy responsibility that we get wrong so many times. 
so many times. And it's something that needs to be fixed. You see, we, we put the lamp on display not just by showing people love, but really setting the example of what a Christian truly is. The problem is, is some of us don't even really understand what a, a believer really is. And that's what I'm trying to help us with in this series that we're going through. You see, we, we don't even really understand what it means to follow Christ. We think we do because we've been in church our entire life. There are things I thought I knew until I started really, truly reading the Bible for myself. I was raised in church my whole life. But then you kind of come to an understanding when you begin to really dive in for yourself that, man, we really got some things wrong within the church, and they need fixed. And we have done this Christian thing all wrong in some ways. Some things we got really well, some things we missed by a mile. And we have to understand that we cannot really put the lamp on a stand until we really truly understand what it even means to have the lamp to begin with. You know, we talk, I've talked about this before, I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to do it again because I say repetition is the key to learning. Repetition is the key to learning. Repetition is the key to learning. Christians are immediately put under a microscope with a target on their back where everybody's evaluating everything that you do, looking for something wrong the moment you claim Christ. Your coworkers find out you're a Christian, guess what? They're going to hold you more accountable than anybody in the church will. They may not tell you they're holding you accountable, but in their mind and in their heart, they're watching everything that you do and everything that you say, and they're going to determine whether you are a true Christian or not. Now, please understand today that some of them really don't understand what it means to be a true Christian. They might have a couple ideas, but those couple ideas that they have, if they are true ideas, I, let's just assume that they are. they got a couple things that they know and they are right about. Those couple things are going to become all of it. They're going to say, well, aren't you supposed to be loving and kind to people? I hear you cussing out so-and-so down the, down the line, and I've heard you talking this. You've been gossiping. Aren't you not supposed to gossip? They will call that stuff out. Maybe not to your face, but they'll talk about it to your coworkers. They'll talk about it to themselves and make a determination about this Jesus that you claim to love and serve based on that. Say, well... If that's the Jesus they serve, I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm not talking about you are firm on truth and you have taken a stand on truth and you are following the truth and they hate you for it. That is totally different. I'm talking about you ain't even near the truth, but you're claiming Christ. You can walk in truth and people are going to hate you. Jesus said they hated me and he is the complete truth in himself. He says, they hated me and they will hate you. But I'm talking about the people who claim Christ but cuss out their waiter at lunch because their sweet tea didn't get there fast enough. Because then you can look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, isn't one of those supposed to be patience? Isn't there supposed to be some kindness involved? Because right there, I didn't see either patience or kindness. Some Christian that is. 
I hope we all wore some steel toe boots to church this morning. Because sometimes I even step on my own toes a little bit with some of this stuff. And by that I mean when I pray and I study, God sometimes punches me right in the gut and says, hey, this ain't just for the people, it's for you too sometimes. Because sometimes I struggle to be patient. Anybody else ever struggle to be patient in their life? And I think if you said no, you probably are struggling with honesty. That's a joke. It's okay to laugh sometimes. But it may not be a joke either. What I want us to understand is you can be put you can put truth on a stand and still be loving to people. I've shared this story before I believe, but I'm going to share it again because I think it's important for us. To, and it's, it's not a pat myself on the back. It's just a moment in my life where this scripture really came to life for me because I lived through it. But I was working a job, and I'm not going to share names because I don't know who may ever listen to this online. But I was working with some people, and I had some people in the workplace there who claimed to be Christians. They said they went to church. They said they believed. And, you know, at face value, maybe you could get that. But once you started to get to know them, the fruit just wasn't there, to be honest with you. And when I showed up on the scene and I started working this job, there was some guys I work with, they try to get you to do things and be a part of it and say, hey, why don't you come out to the bar with us? Why don't you come do this or that? I say, you know, I really don't do those kind of things. I'm a man of faith. I'm a believer in Christ. I say, oh, you're one of them. Oh, but so is so-and-so. Did you know they are? And that you can see it in the attitude where they're going with it. And they'll have no problem telling you, yeah, they, they say they're a Christian, but they, all they ever do is gossip and cuss and talk bad and all this. And, all. and now all of a sudden, the game has changed and you are under the biggest amount of scrutiny you could ever be under. And now you have this challenge of continuing to shine the light while purposely being tested by those around you. Because sometimes they're not just watching, they're testing. And you see, it was funny. We had a, a manager that was hired in who lived a, a homosexual lifestyle, was very open about it, very flamboyant about it, had no problem showing the pictures from drag shows and all of these other things he participated in. And, uh, well, one of our wonderful co-workers decided to let him know who all the Christians were in the workplace. And so he came to me one day and said, and made a comment basically saying, oh, you probably don't even like me, do you? I said, what are you talking about? Well, I know you're, you're one of those Christians, and, and I live this other lifestyle that, that, you, that you think I'm going to go to hell and all of that. And so... We went on this journey, and I'm going to shorten the story for you today, but we, we went on this journey of him testing and me doing everything I could to pass these tests, not for his sake, but for the namesake of Christ. Now listen, God does not need me, a mere man, to defend him, but as a representative of his kingdom in the workplace, I had a responsibility to represent him well. And long story short... 
I was able by God's grace to inform him of the truth of what I believed and what I know to be true and him respect me. And I had other coworkers. It was never him that said it, but another coworker said to me, said, Brandon, you're one of the only Christians I respect because you practice what you say you preach and what you believe. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I, whatever, because I'm sure I had plenty of moments where I fell short. I, actually, I'm not sure. I know for a fact that there were moments I fell short. But I think what one of the biggest differences is is when you fall short, when you take ownership of it, it shows and recognizes to those people that, hey, I, yeah, I messed up. I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have had that attitude. I shouldn't have said those things. And I'm not trying to share a life story with you today. I'm just trying to help you understand how we can be salt and light to the earth. You see, the, the pressure seems to be immense, but the reality of it is you're going you're gonna to fail, but people will give you grace when you recognize that and publicly recognize that with them. Like, I should not have talked to you that way. That was wrong of me. I know better than that. I believe better than that. Please forgive me. And when you treat people with respect and you honor the person, you can honor people without honoring their sin. We can be salt and light to the world. Will you bow your heads with me today?